like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. I can't. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather, professional as always. And <laughs> um, I'm excited. This is going to be a, a fun one. Um, we're going to talk about Alfie Cohn. And the people here with me to talk about Alfie Cohn are Emma Tempest and Lisa Murphy. Hello. And Richard Cohn. Hello. And Elizabeth Liz Nolasco. Hello. (laughs) And I'm laughing already because I have to tell stories that I think are funny. You you can decide. But um, so Alfie, Lisa and I have a rich history arguing over. Alfie Cohn. And about four years ago at about this time was my first ever podcast appearance. I was a guest on the childcare bar and grill and I didn't know you or Jeff at all. It was like an email. I emailed Jeff a question and he was like, Oh, come on and talk about it. And I remember in that conversation, I threatened you or challenged you to a fight over Alfie Cohn. (laughs) And last night you suggested he might sometime hear this episode and I was totally freaked out. No, he can never hear. I didn't it. think I put lipstick on just in case he finds us on the YouTube. <laughs> just in case he finds us, and um, so we 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 agreed not to make any jokes about threesomes with Alfie, <laughs> just in case, just in case he finds us on the internet and listens. So, because um, you know, he probably has a Google setup that you know when his, he gets alerts when his name comes up. Like, oh, what's this about? Oh, okay. well, we mean that in a very professional sense, like we'd study together or something. I think right kind of threesome we're discussing Sounds legit <laughs> so um and also lisa taunts me that she texts him regularly but um hey hey guys let's talk about alfie Cohn in a completely normal and not deranged kind of way can we do a quick round robin first time yes. you have heard about him like time yeah. frame or that's a great idea that? yeah yeah you want to start well, Bev, I mean, that's how I learned about a lot of people back in the early 90s. Bev said, read this book. And so I read Punished by Rewards. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Bev Boz was still holding up, Richard, you remember this, the cards. Remember, <laughs> like before PowerPoint, she'd have these like cards yeah. that she'd hold up and temporary compliance, you know, and I was like, huh, that's interesting. Um, I really wasn't raised in a A's praise bribey kind of fashion, or did I really teach like that? But I, of course, read the book, so that was mine. So early nineties, yeah. Richard, Richard, you go next. Your turn. Okay, what she said. Oh, <laughs> and there we go, Emma. Think <laughs> of a time, but I know who it was. It was my friend Joe, who was my um, teaching assistant back in England, and so that must have been like maybe. 2014? So not that long ago. Mm-hmm. You might be the freshest yeah. uh, Alfie fan. <laughs> okay, Liz, how about you? I found a copy of The Homework Myth on the free card at the library. On the free card? Got just lucky. Um, and that was probably 2010, 2011, and then immediately bought all of his other books. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember how I came across Punished by Rewards, but that was my first um, experience with, with Alfie's work. Um, and it would have been, it was probably early 2000s um, for me, but I, I wish I could remember why. But I do remember it being um, one of those, I mean, of course, lots of new stuff, and I learned so much from reading that book, but also it was this, this is why I have that uneasy feeling about behavior mm. charts, or this um, is why I have that discomfort with carrot and stick. You put it into words for things. you. Yes, yeah, and um, and I have since, uh, of course, the book was very highlighted, uh, and, and I've given it away and bought new copies, <laughs> and given it away and bought new copies, and um, uh but that's not where my quote comes from for today. I went with a different book for my quote because I couldn't pick just one from Punished by Rewind. I, I, I was the same. I, I was looking at like all 10 of my books of my Elfie shelf. Like he's got a whole shelf. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, so I flipped through, like, where were the ones that initially, like, I'm not going to dig for something obscure, you know, just to be clever. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say this before we get to the quotes. I know that I'm a big proponent of um, unpacking the idea of structure versus control. And it's mm -hmm. a big pushback that I give to people because usually when they're talking about a structured environment, it's very much controlling. As I flipped through a couple of these books, I was like, huh, maybe he's who planted those seeds so many years ago. Like, dude's got whole chapters on the difference between the two. And like, even in my old writing, my, like I know how my, my handwriting has changed. Like even way back then, I was like, this is the difference between structure and control. So clearly yeah. that was um, something I locked onto even, you know, like a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being in a used bookstore with my kids four or five years ago and Curtis bought the case against competition just on his own. Uh, and that was like the proudest mother moment. <laughs> We're passing it on to the next generation. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. So who wants to go first with their quote? Who wants to start? I nominate Liz. Oh. Ooh. Because she thank blew you. our minds with Mem Fox. And the <laughs> right. So let's get right to that let's shit right, right now in the beginning. <laughs> oh, good. Well, this is from The Myth of the Spoiled Child, which <gasps> I, I just love. Mm -hmm. Well, because you gave me your copy when you... <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you have another, but... I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> Many people find it extremely upsetting that anyone might receive something desirable, a sum of money, a trophy, a commendation, without having done enough to deserve it. It's outrageous, we're told, that some children get awards, gold stars, and happy face stickers for the most routine accomplishments of childhood. Mm -hmm. And what do we think about that? <laughs> True. <laughs> I just don't want to take over the conversation because I clearly can on this with with this. But uh, so, but that's another example of something that I that that blew my mind. The myth of the spoiled child when he sort of connected it to capitalism and <laughs> the idea that you can't get something for nothing um, and you have to mm -hmm. earn love and attention and getting your needs met needs to be earned sometimes. And that's where this idea of spoiling children comes from. That was that was also big for me. I wonder it's if Tamar Jacobson has read the spoiled, the myth of the spoiled child. Well, that would be interesting to filter it through her attention. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. I just I'll think something for nothing is so prevalent in classrooms. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. In what? Oh, no, you're not at all. Something for nothing. Yeah, go ahead, Liz. Oh, it, it's just super prevalent in teacher ideology. I mean, I think, I think even in teacher training programs, right, we're all still taught this crazy Skinner behaviorism or at least I was, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I have a friend who teaches ed psychology um, and she really doesn't like Alfie Cohn. And I think that's part of why, because he challenges so much of what we learn when we take an educational psychology class. Richard, say something. Uh, well, the, you know, this very much to me um, um, brings Bev back into my mind and heart. <clears throat> Um, you know, one of them, we already did our Bev recording and mm -hmm. we could have gone on for hours, but, um, you know, one of her many contributions was originally called the 11 conditions for the development of, uh, self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And then she hooked into Alfie Cohen and she started realizing, oh, wait, self-esteem is not the Holy grail. And even if it were, it's not, 
you don't get it unearned. You get it through your action and your own sense of accomplishment. Um, and so she changed it to uh, the 11 conditions for healthy human growth. And, and that all, to me, came, relates to Liz's quote. So you mentioned that when we recorded about Bev Boz, of course, and I Googled it and I can't find it anywhere. Can't, can't find what? Find the what? 11 conditions. I oh, I have it written it. down in that file folder right there. So <laughs> I can hook you up when we're done. So we need to get that uh, out to listeners list, somehow. <laughs> yeah, well, and and Richard, if okay. I can add to that, I, I love how she started. I know this isn't about Bev, but if I can toss the two cents <laughs> in that, that the 11 conditions, the only place where they happen organically is when kids are playing. I mean, and that, I mean, I took that and ran with it. Right. Even way back then, I was like, look, everybody, because even before she did the change, like self-esteem was the bandwagon that everybody was on, right? And so you take that language, you're like, if you want this, this is what has to happen. So like we were trying to make the, the just let them play argument, even before we change like self-esteem and human growth and development, like even before that, the message still was one of let the kids play. Uh -huh. And I guess I would bring that to maybe reconnect that back to Alfie by saying, Play is its own reward. Correct. You, know, you don't need to give kids a sticker for playing well. <laughs> oh my God, you played so good today. Yeah. yeah. Let me give you a sticker. <laughs> Bad teaching doesn't just happen, it's practically demanded by systematic factors. Ooh, what's that one from? The schools our children deserve. Oh, yeah. Read it again. Say it again, please. Oh, shoot. Okay, hold on. Bad teaching doesn't just happen. It's practically demanded by systematic factors. Okay. That was so, quote number one. Yeah. Again, I'm ready in case we hit a dead spot of talking, but now that I see Richard is here with us, that's not- <laughs> We're not gonna have a dead spot. <laughs> right back at you, Lisa. <laughs> you started to say something, I think, there, Richard. What were you gonna say? I, I am always starting to say something. That's a lifestyle choice for me. Sure. <laughs> Um, I need a shirt that says that. <laughs> so um, this morning's recording sessions have been snippets that we're writing down to use in the future. So. <laughs> Sorry, go well, ahead. Well, I was just going to say that at least the quote that Lisa read relates directly back to what Liz was talking about and what you were talking about, about the people teaching educational psychology who are um, unwilling to, to look at... Uh, you know, the kind of wisdom and logic that Alfie shares. That, that, that's the beginning of the systems that mm -hmm. Lisa's quote refers to, is the way we educate our new uh, early childhood professionals and bring them into the field. Mm -hmm. So a quote that I don't have, it's, it wasn't in a book, but I've heard him speak a couple of times. Um, Terrific teachers have teeth marks on their tongues. Mm -hmm which I think is beautiful. And this isn't a quote per se, but it was more of a temperament, maybe perhaps an attitude that he brought to his lecturing. He appears, again, I saw, I saw evidence of this in one lecture, to loathe the rah, rah, early childhood, and it, it makes sense, but like early childhood people are the best people ever, woo! And he's like, why do you guys stand up and clap when people do that to you? And I was like, <laughs> and that's when I fell in love with him. So it's so not what, a quote, what, but what it was, was definitely an attitude. Yeah, but why? What was his, did he go into his reasoning? Well, he was doing a punished by, the, yeah. punished by rewards lecture. So I'm, I'm sure he tied it back in. I would be lying if I tried to elaborate on what the connection <laughs> was. I was just so impressed that somebody called that Said shit that. out because yeah. I loathe that. I hate that stuff. And so to have somebody else acknowledge it that I had, you know, so much respect for, I felt as a young speaker at that time, I mm -hmm. felt very affirmed that my like, ugh, to that kind of attitude when people were talking about us as a profession, that it was not um, a miss off, it wasn't off target. Yeah. It's, that somebody I, else kind of felt the same way. I, I think most professions act that way in, in like a conference setting though. Someone, someone starts that cheer and everyone joins in. I, I think we have to explain to listeners why we are uncomfortable with that. He has a blog post about it because I uh -huh. read it in uh -huh. looking for this. It's called How Not to Get a Standing Ovation at a Teacher's Conference. 
from October 2019. Oh, oh, it's recent. That's oh, a good one to read. Yeah, when I had the same yeah, reaction. I was like, oh. <laughs> well, I will just point out that my sorry to 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 um, deeply disagree. Yeah, perhaps I haven't read the article or the blog post, but my most popular keynote is early childhood professionals, the heroes of our time. Um, but I think if I had to guess what, where he's going with that and where Lisa goes with that, um, the difference is that my keynotes aren't me talking. Um, they're <laughs> the people in the audience explaining why someone else in the room is a hero to them. Mm. And so they're personalizing it. Sure. So, oh yeah, I think that's different, Richard. Out. I think that's yeah. different. Yeah. You do? Okay. I do 100% think that's different. You know, I don't think anybody present, I'm looking at, I'm looking at four other faces here. I don't think any of us would stand up in front of the room and be all, you know, that, that raw, You're raw not that human. great. None of you are that great. That's what we'll say. So, well, hold on though. Is that maybe how listeners are interpreting like the opposite of what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. I, I think it, to me, it's condescending. Uh -huh. It's, it's, it's a condescending attitude. Yeah. That I, I, and that to me, I just, I can't stand, I can't stand mm -hmm. it. If you want- Can I take it back? Ooh. Say again? Hold on. Okay, go ahead, Emma. Liz, oh. you just got so loud. Hold on, oh, Emma, no. go. <laughs> me? Yeah. Okay, so from don't the, forget, Liz. the post, he says, um, I don't think it's wrong to offer some affirmation and appreciation to people who don't get nearly enough of it, but I'm not sure a speaker's or writer's talent are best used for telling people what they want to hear and already believe. Uh, I think okay. it's that kind of, yes, you are awesome, and yes, you do this so good, but what are we going to do about it? With uh, all that extra okay. okay. Liz, well, what were you going to say? Let's take that back to, to you know, early childhood and young children, which is you know, one of the things that we know from Bev and from Alfie is how problematic praise is. Mm -hmm. And so, right, so what I'm hearing you all talk about uh, regarding adults, but completely relates to our work with young children, is uh, the emptiness of praise uh, when mm -hmm. it hasn't been earned, or when it's not, ex or when there's no um, authentic acknowledgement for what that human being has mm -hmm. done. Right, that is praiseworthy. Right, no specific reason to be giving yeah. the feedback. It's just, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Okay. So in that so sense, it's the same for adults as it is for young children. Sure, yeah. the logic behind it. Yeah. Okay, Liz, go quick before anyone else starts talking. Right, I'm going to get really loud again. I don't think I changed my volume, but tell me <laughs> if I'm way off. Um, <laughs> if, I, if I could jump back to that capitalism something for nothing and early childhood being generally undervalued, I mean, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find the rah-rah thing at, like, an electrical engineering conference. <laughs> okay, that's true. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe it's just so professions much. that are predominantly women that we, that we women get that. Predominantly yeah. Capitalism and patriarchy. Yes. But also we all are, are you know, have, have just been and are living through this experience of, oh, wait, we're not essential workers. Yeah. Thank you to all this other list of people, but uh, mm -hmm. childcare and early education uh, doesn't get mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, but those other people who need to go save those lives can't get to their work unless where they're taking care of their children. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If you really want to appreciate us, <laughs> we're living through really a, do it. One yeah. of the hardest, you know, most illustrative lessons of um, how undervalued we are. Yeah. Um, we've always talked about it abstractly, but now the pandemic, the pandemic is um, we're now seeing it for what it is. Yeah. That's You're awesome. Here's some candy. <laughs> right that's all we that's all we're asking right. oh my god just throw us some treats. the name of your preschool on it <laughs> <laughs> look more crap from the vendor hall it's free yeah yeah <laughs> okay um <laughs> who wants to go next with a quote well liz was there more you wanted to say about capitalism oh yeah always but um oh, always. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just the undervalued. I, I think there's so much of needing to build ourselves up. And I feel like we hold more identity, more of our identity with the profession than a lot of other fields. And I think that's true of education as a whole. And I think early education is particularly burdened with it because in, we need to convince other people of our value. Sometimes we need to convince ourselves of our value. And there's just so much 
wait and we're looking for that praise and validation that comes from the, you know, even the empty praise, even the yay early childhood educators, just because we're, it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Right. So I just so had how would the listeners connect that to capitalism? <laughs> oh, sorry, just undervalued and you know low wages and that sort of uh, low social standing and that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, thank yeah. you. What were you going to say, Lisa? I was going to say that just to what Liz just said, if we as a profession identify so much, perhaps even more than other professions with our job, and so. We're always not just saying that our profession is worthy, but then our own self mm. is worthy. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah. Yeah, so this has been another episode of, uh, <laughs> come on, somebody bring it up again. <laughs> no, some next quote, next quote, who's going? Well, I got, it's a long one okay. and it's kind of changing the direction, but okay. are you ready? I sure. Some parents essentially mortgage their children's present to the future, sacrificing what might bring meaning or enjoyment or even produce higher quality learning in a ceaseless effort to prepare their children for college. They are not raising a child so much as a resume on legs. Oh, mm. okay, agree. Right. <laughs> so, so what I hear in that is process versus product. Mm -hmm. right? yeah, of we're, not, we're not, um, respecting the process of learning and growing and expanding your knowledge. We're all, uh, parents are conditioned to um, work towards that future product, which is a college degree. Mm -hmm. And that myth has long since been busted, but most people don't know that. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Policymakers see students mostly as test scores, valuing only those who get the best numbers and therefore not really valuing any of them at all. Oh, oh yeah. I guess this is going to be just me going, oh, every time. <laughs> um, well, one of the things I like best about that book, this book, the What Does It Mean to Be Well-Educated book, is that it's a nice crash course for anyone who's brand new. Uh -huh. I think to Alfie, the idea of, uh, well, the one chapter that's five reasons to stop saying good job. Uh -huh. I think that's a really nice way yeah. to get people to go, ah, yes. huh. You know, you yeah. give them punished by rewards, and they're like, eh, yeah. but here's five reasons it's to cumbersome. stop saying that. Yeah, which is also an article that you can get on his website. Like you can yes. download that reason, five reasons to stop saying good job. Um, I want to jump and let Emma say something if she wants to. I'm writing. Oh, okay. Well, then never mind. Never mind. Okay, I'm going to read my quote. Please. This is from Beyond Discipline, from Compliance to Community, which is the first book of Alfie's that really started getting me in trouble at work. Okay. <laughs> because I started. Um, is it as highlighted as mine is? <laughs> it's, it's no, but this is the second copy that just did. It. So the first copy had much more. This was my start over and think about it again at a different point in my career copy. But anyway, so he says here, children are not just adults in the making. They are people whose current needs and rights and experiences must be taken seriously. They ought to be able to make choices because people of any age ought to have some say in what happens to them. Mm. And um, it doesn't seem like the idea of children as humans with rights should be so mind blowing, <laughs> but it, to, to, to hear someone say it, to read someone say it is powerful. And then to try and take that idea into conversations about discipline um, and, uh, and even caregiving in general. Compliance, yeah. So, especially, um, especially now with the corona times, who's asking kids what they want to do? Like, is anybody even considering them in terms of like going back to school? Do they uh -huh. want to go back? What do they want to do instead? Do they want to wear a mask? Do they not want to wear a mask? Is anyone yeah. actually asking the children? Yeah. That's actually a really good point, Emma. Right. I, I imagine that a lot of the children are feeling some fear because they've spent the last several months hearing about why we can't go outside and why we can't be in school and why we can't be together. And now we're just like, I had a Facebook friend really celebrating that one of the school corporations was going to just in-person, same old, same old kind of classes. And they were celebrating because now they have their life back. Their kids can go to school. Um, but I just kept thinking, how scary would that be? Who's, and just what you said, Emma, who's asking them how they feel about it? I, I don't think probably anybody. This quote also brings up for me uh, another influencer that 
the that early childhood nerd chose to completely ignore and not do an episode on. Ooh, uh, can we guess? <laughs> no, this isn't the, the trivia night that will oh, never damn it. televised. <laughs> that will never see the light of day. Please to read. Um, no, Eric Erickson. Oh. Um, do you know why he wasn't included in the influencers? Nobody suggested him or no one signed up for him. That wasn't I suggested him and there was no sign up. So that's that not a nerd decision. The people can watch the video so they can see my head. <laughs> So Eric Erickson, I love Eric Erickson. What are you going to say about him? Well, he talked about autonomy versus shame and doubt, mm -hmm. right? And so we know that that need for power, uh, that say-so, um, is so important in the toddler and early preschool years. And uh, the quote that was just read to me speaks directly to that, uh -huh. that being ignored. Uh -huh. It's like swimming upstream. If you know that's their primary motivator, why wouldn't you respect and embrace that and, mm -hmm. and utilize that? Mm -hmm. Because we have people who enter the profession because the only power that they have is bossing young children around. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Was that a let me talk, Emma, or was that no, just, just an agreement? No, she was giving me an amen is what she <laughs> yeah. said. Right. We have a lot of deeply disempowered folks. Yeah. Um, and undereducated folks mm -hmm. uh, caring for our country's children. Yeah. Who also don't always um, recognize their right to have a choice, to speak up, to have a voice, and just sort of assume that they they don't have any say in how we're doing things with children. So it's like or it's layers and layers of disempowerment. Oh, sure. Sometimes it is just oh, yeah. easier to think that. Yeah. Well, and let's all just point out, just to put it out there, at least from appearances sake, for anyone who's watching this video, we appear to be a group of white people um, having yes. this conversation. Yes, that and is what we look like. Is, uh, often, primarily, um, people of color and poverty. Um, and that's part of this, that's a, th a major thread of what we're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah, no, thank you. I was just trying to think because, um, and it's sort of going back in a different direction, but uh, I read, I started to read and I didn't finish it, but it, it's John Holt and it's a book about the rights of childhood. And like one of the first chapters is children should have a right to vote. And I was like, what? <laughs> but that's, so that's that. And, and, and the conversations we've had repeatedly about the UN convention on the rights of the child and the United States hasn't ratified it yet. Um, it's just, there, there doesn't seem to be, any consensus that children have rights. And um, there seems to be a lot of shock when we use that language, um, a lot of discomfort with adults to consider that children should have the same kind of rights that we want to have. Well, I think because we haven't ratified it, it's hard to use the, the, the concept of it being a right yeah. as leverage. Yeah. And just yeah, we don't, we don't, we can't go back to it. We can't say, look, here's a, here's a regulation that says that, that somebody, people in, we can't do that. Yeah. We'll use it, but unlike other countries, there's nothing actually in writing that we can use to our advantage. Sure. And that's often while I, I, it's not that I avoid using that language. It's I'll often try and steer conversation away from it. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the sole rationale for that. Yeah. Um, uh, so I do, I want to give Liz and Emma a chance cause they're not as bossy as the rest of us about jumping into the conversation. Oh, okay. Uh, is it time for the next quote? Who else has a quote? Uh, I have a quote. Okay, go. Um, I don't know what book it's from. Um, God damn it, Richard. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's from, um, I'm never going to have a romance with Heather or Lisa. It's the article. <laughs> or maybe it was a book. It's a whole book. <laughs> it's a whole book on it. I like it. It's a textbook. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's hear it. All right. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting. This is the quote from that <laughs> book. Um, if I offered you $1,000 to take off your shoes, um, which again has no relation to uh, Lisa, um, you'd very likely accept. 
And then I could triumphantly announce that rewards work. But as with punishments, they can never help someone develop a commitment to a task or action, a reason to keep doing it when there's no longer a payoff. Yeah. Right? Like a dark turn. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even because somebody else talk because I'm still recovering from Alfie well, paying me $1,000 to take my shoes off. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, would, I would contribute to that GoFundMe. Um, oh, you know, what I always say to teachers is the ones who love the red, yellow, and green figures and, uh. The, and the, uh, you know, all those external, right? I mean, this is, this is where I feel like, or I hope we five get to talk about extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation, yeah. right? Because if you motivate young children with something outside of themselves, like a sticker or God forbid, a cookie, right? Footnote C, uh, uh, obesity. Uh, epidemic in yeah. our country, yeah. in our world. Candy! Right, candy for doing something good. You get a Skittle. Um, but the, but the thing I always say to teachers to try to make that really just sort of simple and obvious is, you know, you love these kids. We know that. You want the best for them long after they've left you and maybe you've been forgotten and they've gone on in their lives. Mm -hmm. If you're relying on that sticker or that red, yellow, and green chart, and next year they get to Miss Debbie's class and she doesn't use that, what's their incentive to do? Because yes, those things can appear to work. Mm -hmm. um, I'm about to get possibly two new dogs and we, as much as I hate it, we have an invisible fence that has a little <laughs> shock collar. Yeah. And the truth is it works, it appears to. And spanking appears to work in the short term. Yeah. Um, it stops a behavior when it's associated with pain or perhaps keeps a behavior going if it's associated with reward. But what happens when those rewards and punishments stop? Mm -hmm. And next year, they're with a different teacher who doesn't have a red, yellow, and green chart. They don't have the intrinsic. They haven't learned, they haven't um, found it within themselves to make those choices not to grab the truck away. Because, and this sort of connects back to our other early childhood nerd podcast about moral development. In yeah. Which isn't that intrinsic uh, motivation to know that you shouldn't grab the truck from the other child. Mm -hmm. Also, example. spoiler alert: yeah, if yeah. the next class does have a red, yellow, green chart, it still doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we're not we're not saying the answer is for everybody to have a chart so that it's consistent. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think it's impossible to record to talk about Alfie Cohn without getting into this intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation and the whole idea of rewards because people will even when I present it with that sort of an example like um, you know it may stop them from doing the thing now but down the road if we if we take those extrinsic things away what what reason do they have to continue with the quote-unquote good behavior and then people have said to me well it doesn't matter because in the moment they didn't do the thing I didn't want them to do. And especially in a system where kids move from one room to the next every year, starting at birth and just continuing that way forever, um, then that it's so easy to get into that short-term thinking. Oh, what's it say, Lisa? This? No. The only thing between a carrot and a stick is a jackass. <laughs> yes. Got it. Um, it tells a story. That's actually why I was flipping through the book again, because yeah. I, I didn't want to ruin it, but I, nor do I really want to paraphrase it and then get it wrong. But I believe in Punished by Rewards, he tells an amazing story about an old man who was being taunted by the neighborhood kids. So he started paying them and then they stopped taunting him, <laughs> showing how actually the reward often has the complete opposite. And Dan Hodgins talks about, and, and I, we should have had him on here. Dan Hodgins yeah. talks about a couple of studies that have actually been done that if you are constantly rewarding to that degree, you actually develop very self-centered, selfish mm -hmm. tendencies. Right. Oh, right. And in Punished by Rewards, he talks about um, not just using this system with children, but using it with employees yeah. and, you know, basing bonuses on performance reviews and those kinds of things, because that's what happens. It doesn't build the community. It doesn't build that intrinsic motivation to do what we know is right for children. It builds, you know, this bubble of competition and protecting yourself. I once worked somewhere that had a treasure box for adults. 
Oh my God. <laughs> I worked at a school where we were paid $20 if we could um, recite the memorized mission statement at every oh. staff meeting. Yep. 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 I've done that one too. Not $20, but I got points and prizes, probably tickets for a prize box. If I could say the mission statement. To get one of those little plastic squigglies that you throw against the wall and then you watch it come. I mean, which I love, but I also know how to buy those myself. I don't mean. But I would, I would throw out again that um, in some cultures and communities, right, particularly in the black community, um, they are raised on, many of those folks are raised on generations of obedience mm -hmm. or survival. Yeah. Um, True. Right. And so, um, They'll, they, folks I've worked with can tell me very passionately and what appears to be logically um, why they whoop, right, or spank their children with the hairbrush in their purse. Mm -hmm. um, because I need my son to behave in order to survive. To survive, that's right. Yeah. Because in a few years, he's going to be a teenager. And if he's not obedient, he's, he's going to possibly... We know, we've seen, we're living. So sure. that's an interesting conversation, Richard, that would, I, for it's probably a story for another time, of the disconnect potentially between, let's say, a white woman facilitating an early childhood setting, and if I have a predominance of people of color or the culture that might be doing that, the disconnect between me thinking that I am providing a very open, conversational-based, play-based, problem-solving-ness kind of space that completely flies in the face of the culture of the families that are in that. So imagine the conversations that need to happen that, that prevent or try to prevent the disconnect, right? And the tension between what's happening at school versus what's happening at home. That, and the wow. listening on our part that needs to happen during those. Which doesn't mean I'm going to whip out a hairbrush out of my purse, you know, right. and smack your kid with it. But it does mean that we have to find some kind of middle ground yeah. because there is a disconnect between perhaps the home environment and, and the school environment. Even though I'm thinking that perhaps naively that what I'm doing is in the highest and best interest for all the kids who are here, but not realizing that there's a huge cultural influence that let's be honest, I can't perhaps allow in this space. Hmm. Right. But we can seek hmm. to understand it. I can seek to understand it most definitely. Work for and that third space. And understand the generations, as you said, Richard, that are um, influencing how and where and why this came from. Am I going to like unravel that for that particular family? Probably not, but I can increase my understanding of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, not too long ago, now I don't know if I'm going to say her name right, Ijumaya? Ijuma. Uh, Ijuma Jordan? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Taught Heather and I uh, a lesson. I, I'll say taught only because I sort of really spent a long time putting myself in, a, in, in that kind of humble position of being a lifelong learner when I uh -huh. first wanted to resist what she was saying to us. <laughs> um, but she said that um, one of the problems in early childhood education of course, I'm paraphrasing, is that um, when we try to teach developmentally appropriate practice or best practices, we tend to universalize our message. And universalizing is a sign of white supremacy because we assume that what we're saying is best applies to all. To all. everybody. True. But yeah. for example, in, in, uh, in the cultures we're talking about, one of the differences is um, present time orientation versus future time orientation. Right. So we can talk about how the relationship. We know it now. There's scads of evidence between spanking a young child and what happens 10 to 12 years later when they're a teenager mm -hmm. and the increase in drug use, gang membership, pregnancy, all those kinds of things. But the folks we're talking to are just trying to get through the moment or the mm -hmm. day and yeah. put food on the table and can't prioritize what life might be like in 10 years. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering though, this is a, we're changing the subject, but this is okay. Are there people speaking to that? I, I don't want to use in I don't want to use in uh, the wrong language. Uh -huh. Are there people speaking to those communities about finding spanking. the middle ground between not just spanking, but finding middle ground between the present lens and the future lens? Like who's having that conversation? And I'm that not involves moving through. 
I mean, you can't rush somebody else through Maslow. If people are scared for the lives of their children, they're down at that safety level. You can't. Right. Valid. Yeah. Forward. Yeah. Through. I was just curious if there was somebody out there who that was like their, their oh. if they were dancing yeah. between that or having that conversation with people about, you know, we realize you are here and, you know, we're not telling you to hurry up Maslow. Mm. And are we still able to acknowledge that there is tomorrow and next year and next mm. week, or is that completely probably not heard if you're in down here, you know? Right. I also would really like to look at the bias. Oh, I'm sorry, Liz, go ahead. Just, sorry, the connection that you had made between the spanking and then the negative repercussions of spanking, you know, being linked to higher instances of drug use and gang affiliation, like you'd said. I'm wondering if um, poor policing and poor methodology might actually be behind some of those links. We know that Black children, Black teenagers, Black young adults are more likely to be convicted of these things, more likely to be in circumstances that lead them to legal trouble. And I'm worried that these are biased studies, having not read them, and oh. now I want to go down that rabbit hole and look into sure. it more. That's why. Okay. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Alfie's going to be like, yo, this is not about me at all. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just going to uh, answer Lisa's question, which is, you know, I feel like I've spent my career doing that dance. Um, okay. Like as a Pacific Oaks anti-bias flag waver. Um, but um, as a white male, I'm the wrong person to be doing that dance. Mm -hmm. That's what I was, I, that's where I was going. Who, who, yeah. who's the right person? Mm -hmm. Anyone but me. Right. Yeah. I don't think it's this screen. It's not but this screen. I do think we have colleagues of color who are doing that work. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sure that they are. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, <laughs> does anybody have a quote that we didn't get to? I do. Okay, good. It like pales in comparison to everything we just spoke about, but I'll say it anyway. Go ahead. Yes, please. Um, <clears throat> punishment and reward proceed from basically the same psychological model, one that conceives of motivation as nothing more than the manipulation of behavior. This is not to say that behaviorists fail to distinguish between the two. In fact, Skinner argued fervently against the use of punishment in most circumstances but the theory of learning and ultimately the view of what it is to be a human being are not significantly, significantly different for someone who says, do this and you'll get that. And someone who says, do this or here's what will happen to you. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. I really love that he, that he, that he brings to us that punishment and discipline are essentially the same thing. <laughs> I mean, punishment <laughs> and rewards are essentially the same thing, have the same kinds of effects um, over long-term motivation or short-term compliance right yeah well they're fear-based right they're both fear-based afraid of getting something painful or afraid of not getting something wonderful mm -hmm. um but to me emma i think the quote is really powerful it goes right back to some of these other quotes and what we talked about of the systemic problems mm -hmm. of the way we teach young teachers educational psychology who start and end with skinner and don't go beyond that mm -hmm. Um, you know, so can we acknowledge the 80 pound elephant in the room or 800 pound elephant? Is it me? Uh, no. <laughs> it, it, well, it, it was the last time I actually had a conversation with Alfie was why I dropped out of my first master's degree program because it was why special children who are in special needs classrooms somehow are not exempt from this mindset. And I'm like, I can't be a part of this program. And I left it. Yeah. And they're like, no, no, everything he says is fine for typically developing children, but none of it applies to children in special needs classrooms. And I'm like, I'm like, I can't, I can't sleep at night and yes. acknowledge this. Yes. I, I can't. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I suggested that just because a child has a diagnosis does not mean that they don't still learn in the ways that we know children learn best. Um, and was accused of not supporting special ed because yeah. that's what I had suggested. And um, it's, it's, sorry, I just, I, that the whole prevalence of behaviorism, 
for children who have, you know, some sort of special need um, doesn't sit well with me, but it's a, it's a very entrenched mindset and practice. Yep. Well, and again, it goes back to the education of the people in those fields. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They go into special education rather than going into early childhood education. They take those educational psychology classes. Mm-hmm. They learn about, you know, the rat who gets the pellet when they press their nose to the button. Um, yeah. yes. <laughs> That's twice you've done that in this podcast, Lisa. I know. It's all I think about. <laughs> Whenever I think of Skinner, that's all that comes yeah. in my head. Good oh, dog. Yeah. Good dog. Here's your biscuit. Yeah. Yeah. You did it when you were talking about Alfie Cohn, too. <laughs> well, yeah, I did, didn't I? <laughs> but for a whole different reason. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but I've had, I've had people, I had a person specifically when I was doing a summer camp for school-age kids, and I was talking about, you know, getting the staff ready, and someone was like, well, have you ever watched The Dog Whisperer? Because I think that some of that could really be applied to working with children. <laughs> No, I probably won't do that that way. <laughs> right? I think when, I, when I first read this book and was talking about it when I worked in a school setting, the thing for me was that the motivation factor, a lot of people use it as, oh, well, they're motivated to get the reward. And it's like, well, shouldn't they be motivated to do the behavior for the greater good of humankind? Like, yeah. <laughs> like the reward, I always compare it, like speaking of 800 pound elephants in the room, yeah. I always compare it to like losing weight and having like a certificate when you lose seven pounds or whatever. And the certificate is not what people are aiming for. They're aiming to lose weight. Mm-hmm. The certificate is that it's not the reward. It's the acknowledgement that, yeah, you're doing well as mm-hmm. per se. But when it comes to children, they don't give a crap about some <laughs> certificate that says you weren't on the red all week or right. you didn't you know, miss any playtime because you only hit Johnny once instead of 10 times. It's just, the whole thing is bullshit. And yes. my coach, one of my favorite, we could, can we swear on this one? Oh yeah, yes. I think we already have. Okay, good. Um, one of my favorite quotes from her is, motivation is the fuckboy of emotions. Because <laughs> it's just so true. It's so true. You don't, if you're looking to be motivated to do something, you're just not going to do it. You're going to lose the interest in it. Uh-huh it comes from wanting to do it. And that is not the same as being motivated. Right. Or as soon as whatever that, mo- that, that reward is, isn't interesting anymore. You yes. have to do bigger rewards yes. and um, get trickier with your, with your um, methods for rewarding. And um, so do we need to link this to mask wearing right now? Oh, okay. you sure can. Ooh. Let's Go hear it. it. Well, it just jumped in my head. But we've got no, we're seven I mean, minutes away from being an hour. So I think it's that thing well, said about in, independence and interdependence on mm-hmm. other people. So Emma's your phrase about doing it for the greater good uh-huh. versus you know the that that that's when it jumped in my head. Yeah, yeah, doing an yeah. independent act for the community greater good, as a yeah. whole. Mm-hmm. Right. I wouldn't want anyone to think to to leave this podcast thinking that. Um, intrinsic motivation is a synonym for selfishness right oh good good point yeah intrinsically motivated uh it can be on someone else's behalf right Mm -hmm. it doesn't right intrinsic motivation just because it's inside you doesn't mean it's about you correct yes correct correct Mm -hmm. good point Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think that's a whole other podcast episode is intrinsic and um extrinsic sure could be yeah. Yeah. File that away. Um, did anybody like have that. a quote they were dying to share that we didn't get to share? I don't want to be, you know, abrupt, but I need to start Wrap talking about wrap up, wrapping up 10 minutes before we actually do. I think everybody knows that. Oh, I'll, I'll give you one <laughs> because he, he, he used to write this letter to the parents um, when he was still teaching uh, fourth grade, what was taken away from the children's education in order to make them better at taking tests? Oh, yep. Yep. What was taken away? 
in this classroom, we used to da 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 da, but we can't do that anymore because of that. And I think he was one of the first ones that started to make me think. I mean, Bev used to say it, right? That once you've established the environment, 99% of your job is parent education. But I think he really gave me some strategies on how to empower the parents. I, I feel very fortunate that I learned early in my career that if you could get parents to start being vocal about some of the things that things that were better to have in a classroom that that was your secret weapon mm -hmm. and and i think he he motivated me to figure out what that some of what it looked like uh-huh yeah well said because what gets lost is intrinsic motivation play, <laughs> process relationships all the things that we talk about on this podcast that we absolutely know and and science um bears out are the most important um, you know, uh, aspects of the first years of life for mm -hmm. healthy human growth. That's what mm -hmm. gets lost. Yep. Yeah. All right. Looking at you, Liz and Emma, last chance. Anything you wanted to say? <laughs> I agree with everything that's okay. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> also to put on our, um, a whole other podcast list, Book It is back in schools, the pizza for real. Oh. And he does talk about that in Punished by Rewards, but that I think that's a whole Oh, how to create a generation of fat kids who hate reading. Yeah. <laughs> um, as much as I love pizza, uh, I was sort of disheartened to see that that's coming back around. Yes. Um, I also okay. would like to um, reward Emma for um, actually getting dressed for this and not wearing her pajamas. <laughs> I know <laughs> having a shower and what dry my hair. prospect of perhaps wet. having video released has if changed If I had a Dude! <laughs> I'm about to go get my hair cut. I'm so excited. Ooh. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'm still not ready to do that yet. But maybe by the time this one comes out, maybe I'll just shave my head like Richard did and just call that, call that good. Hey, we could do it in, on a on an episode. Yes, yeah. I'll fly to Indiana and hold this year's. <laughs> All right, we'd have to do it out in the yard, though. I can't let you in my house, Richard, <laughs> for a variety of reasons. And we'll end the podcast on that note. Thank you, everybody. This was thank a great Heather. conversation. Thank it was you, fun. Thought provoking. I love it. Um, and thanks everybody for listening to another episode. That's another the show. Episode now go get your nerd on. Bye. <laughs>